But for those who can't afford it, will definitely feel that that's something worth donating for and donating to an organization like WBAI. 516-620-3602 is the number to call to show your support. You could call at any time and show your support to this radio station. With that said, the time now is 5 p.m. Stay tuned for Driving Forces with Jeff Simmons and Celeste Katz-Bartson. And that's coming up right about now. Stay tuned. Welcome back to WBAI. This is Driving Forces, your weekly show that dives into the issues dominating discussion in our city, state, and across our country. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, with this special New Year's Eve show. And what makes it very special? Well, that's my co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. Happy New Year, Jeff. Happy New Year. (laughs) Happy New Year. Obviously, lots in the news. You know, this is usually, think about it, this is usually the type of day, or usually it's Fridays, but the type of day when all the bad news gets dumped because people aren't paying a lot of attention to it. But frankly, with uh, with COVID restrictions, I think a lot of people, if they're adhering to the restrictions, are kind of staying at home, watching TV, absorbing news online. Definitely not the usual kind of New Year's Eve that we would expect with, you know, hundreds, if not thousands, if tens of thousands, I don't know, people crowding into Times Square, waiting for that ball to drop, trying to get on TV, missing Dick Clark, you know, all that kind of stuff. Very different kind of holiday season, not just New Year's even, but, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving as well. And really hope that people out there being smart, being safe, staying away from the COVID this year. You know, I'm reflecting back because of something I have on one of my walls here, and I hope our listeners don't hold it against me. But uh, I spent six New Year's Eves in Times Square for New York One when I had worked there. And one of the photos I have, it's his back. It's mainly focused on me, was interviewing Rudy Giuliani, one of those uh, New Year's Eves, because they would always have me speak with the mayor at the time. I don't know if you ever had to work New Year's Eve uh, before. Definitely did work a lot of New Year's Eves and uh, a lot of holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, uh, Mother's Day, whatever you may have. But yeah, that was always a big part. And I always remember seeing you on TV, Jeff. I, uh, I miss those olden golden days. Yeah, freezing. Free. It was always uh, sort of like uh, Thanksgiving Eve. I remember them being some of the coldest nights of the year. So uh, lots obviously going on in the news. I've been uh, checking in on some former colleagues to see how they're doing. And yes, they are working today. Uh, much like us. Exactly, exactly. But in a happy way, very glad to be here with you guys and share this New Year's Eve with you. It has certainly been quite a year. Um, I'm going to go out there on a limb and say I'm not too upset that it's over. Oh, no, you're not out on a limb. I think we're all very glad that 2020 is over and hoping that uh, 2021 is much better for all of us, for our families and friends and coworkers and for our economy, for the small business. I mean, we could just go on. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's a there's a lot of stuff that we've talked about here on the program, you know, the kinds of things that we want to do on the program, too, in 2021, now that we can actually get our phone lines working. You know, things were a little different for a while there. It was a little tough to get the phone lines up and, you know, juggling, like, how are we going to keep bringing you all this programming with everybody so far flung and worried about how getting out of the house, getting into a studio and that kind of thing. But we have overcome a lot of that, fortunately here at WBAI. And obviously, a lot of our shows this year were really focused on coronavirus and the impact of coronavirus. We are going to continue to cover that story. So that certainly is not going away. At the and, same time, yeah, you know, the new administration about to take office. We have 2021 elections on the horizon. We're not going to run out of things to discuss. Not, not at all. And in fact, uh, Celeste, I'd love for you to tell our listeners about what our topic is today, because that's something that you and I have talked about, that we want to make each show much more uh, focused on specific topics that are dominating discussion. 
You are always very subtle with the prompts, Jeff. That's one thing that I I enjoy about being on the radio with you. That that very low-key, that perfect segue. So uh, not to keep anybody in suspense any longer, however, today we are going to be talking about something that's been in the news for a while. Very serious topic, especially for New York, New York City, immigration. And, uh, you know, partly uh, the reason why we wanted to talk about that is we're talking about a new president. President-elect Joe Biden has talked about what he's going to do in his first hundred days in office. One of the big things that a lot of people are interested in, obviously, uh, reinstating deferred action for childhood arrivals, the DACA program, as we know it, and protecting from deportation about 650,000 people who arrived in the United States undocumented as kids. He says he's going to appoint a task force to track down the parents of hundreds of children who still have not been found. We're talking about three years after Trump's zero tolerance policy was enacted. Three years. And and consider how Trump has addressed issues of immigration versus what Joe Biden has stressed he will take on as president. I mean, Trump ran his first presidential campaign making immigration his signature issue promising to overhaul U.S. immigration, and then he changed immigration policy significantly, as we all know, and we're going to be discussing this in the show with an expert, a top expert on this, separating children from their parents at the border was a significant issue that took place during his tenure. Uh, Setting caps on the numbers of refugees that would be accepted in our country, there were quite a number of immigration issues. I mean, the Trump administration was more hostile to immigration and immigrants than any administration in decades, making it so much harder for people to to visit, live or work in the United States. And again, seeking to reduce the number of people who undocumented came into our country. Uh, He also had pledged uh, to immediately end the ban. This is Joe Biden. Uh, and the ban restricting foreigners from several Muslim-majority countries from entering our country, and then to reinstate protections from deportation for the estimated, as Celeste said, 650,000 who arrived in U.S. illegally undocumented as minors, the dreamers, uh, that, uh, as they are known. So immigration is one of a lot of issues that the White House is going to have to tackle. Obviously, this has been a very, shall we say, unique four years of the Donald Trump, Mike Pence administration. And I think a lot of people are looking for the clock to be turned back on a lot of the policies that Trump, Pence put into place. But, you know, it really is worth mentioning that a lot of the people who are advocates out there who work on immigration and work on these policy issues um, – I'm not necessarily interested in turning back the clock that much, because if you think about it, there were a lot of complaints about what went on with immigration during the Obama-Biden administration. Record number of deportations there. So, you know, we're not necessarily looking back to this sort of halcyon time of how everything was so perfect under President Obama, whether you liked him, whether you didn't like him or so on. There's certainly a lot of things out there in terms specifically of immigration policy uh, to be concerned about. So, you know, how much of this can be turned back, should be turned back. Some of it can be like reformed rather than uh, scrapped completely. What is this going to mean for ICE, you know, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or as we used to call it back in my day, the INS? Um, you know, that was, uh, you know, something that uh, something that bears further review, certainly. Is, is Joe Biden going to use executive orders, proclamations? How is he going to work with Congress on this? And what's going to happen in Georgia? Because that could be a big part of of what we are looking at in the year and years to come. So uh, before Jeff introduces our first guest, just want to remind you guys that we are going to be taking your calls today on immigration. That'll be in the second half hour of our program. So why don't you just take down the number and then you can tell us a little bit about what you want to see happen with immigration. The number to call a little bit later on the program, 212-209-2877, And Celeste had raised a number of good questions, ones that we'll talk about with our first guest today, Bita Mostofi, the commissioner of the Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs. A proud daughter of Iranian immigrants, she became passionate about community organizing and service at a very young age, an early anti-war organizer and human rights advocate. She believes that the struggle for justice must center the needs and voices of our communities. And among her achievements in public service, 
She led the campaign to bring IDs, IDNYC to more than 1.3 million people, including myself, and brought in access to government-issued identification and services. And during her, commission, uh, her time as commissioner, she also has championed healthcare for all and collaborated with uh, NYC Health and Hospitals on NYC Care, which is a major initiative to ensure that all New Yorkers, regardless of immigration status or ability to pay, can access quality, affordable health care in New York City. Commissioner, welcome back to, to WBAI. Hi, and Happy New Year. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for joining us on New Year's Eve. You know, this was not an easy show that was less than I thought. No one's <laughs> going to want to do this. They'll all be celebrating. But frankly, we're all trapped in our homes. So welcome no back. Start. Start with COVID-related news. The latest on vaccine distribution among immigrant communities, how has your agency been involved? How do you allay concerns about the vaccine itself? Yeah, so so critical and such an important part, you know, building off of the, you know, the last initiative that you spoke about that our office has been a part of, which is NYC Care, and that's really guaranteeing health care for all. We've seen just the devastating impact that this pandemic has had on immigrant communities and communities of color across the city. And we need to ensure that any vaccine program and distribution effort is one that is equitable and fair. So we're really proud um, as an administration and my office in particular to be, be part of that effort, both in terms of the citywide outreach effort and plan, but also working uh, closely with our racial equity and inclusion task force to ensure that our approach is one that is as inclusive um, and responsive as possible. Um, and we have a, a partnership with Health and Hospitals and the Department of Health that's already kicking off and making sure we're connecting community-based providers, not just with uh, the vaccine as we get a more massive rollout, but also there are ongoing clinical trials, just additional efforts to respond to the pandemic that we want to ensure our communities know about. So, Commissioner, and if you're just joining us, this is WBAI's Driving Forces. Uh, I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. And, Commissioner, just wanted to ask you, you know, coming from an immigrant family, having grown up around immigrants, you know, just in a very basic sense, sometimes you get the feeling that people, even if it's a, a for a worthy cause, for personal safety, safety of their families and so on, sometimes people just don't want to interact with the government. They feel there's a risk there. If you are not documented, what else? could happen to you. Maybe it's not just getting a vaccine. There's a sense that maybe you're putting yourself in danger by doing something to keep yourself out of danger, if you know what I mean. I'm just wondering, how are you reaching out to people and trying to explain that, look, this is something that it is worth coming forward for? Yeah, so important. And honestly, such a critical part of our work, even beyond um, sort of healthcare access, but as you said, um, that hesitation or concern or fear in interacting with with government or, or bureaucratic channels on any level. And so much of what we do as an office is really both trying to build trust and, and transparency, right, with our communities about what we're doing and how we're doing it um, and being on the ground and being responsive, but also ensuring that we're building out inclusive efforts and initiatives, and IDNYC is a good example of that, right? You belong here. You're a New Yorker, and we don't want you to have fear about your immigration status if you're interacting with a city agency or with law enforcement, right? Um, and so that has been a central or core value that we have um, tried to include in every effort that we've undertaken around COVID response. Um, and I want to emphasize, and thank you for giving me the opportunity, a few things. One, that none of your uh, information, right, um, when you're uh, participating at our health and hospitals, when you're receiving that medical care, when you're receiving COVID testing, when you're going to hopefully receive the vaccination, none of that uh, can be shared um, beyond your healthcare practitioner. And and we have strong and stringent confidentiality policies in our city, but even more so, right, um, in, in healthcare and, and health initiatives. Additionally, it's really important to know so many have been uh, rightly uh, great, even more concerned, or we've seen an acceleration of that fear because of the Trump administration's enforcement policies. Um, we want to emphasize here that 
the public charge rule, which many, which has chilled many uh, immigrant families from, from receiving benefits they're entitled to, it cannot be used against somebody who's receiving care due to COVID, whether that's testing or the vaccination. So that's a really important message that we want to make sure is uh, people are receiving. And the way that we're doing that is we have have had a really beautiful campaign called Seek Care Not uh, Without Fear. So Seek Care Without Fear that we have um, pushed out through uh, community and ethnic media in many different languages, across TV channels, digital channels, within communities that we work with that uh, is a part of all of what we do. Our team does regularly and they've really pivoted in this moment uh virtual engagements on facebook in uh digital channels that we know immigrant communities are using like wechat creating video messages in language doing social graphics in language and you know using sort of all of the levers that we can to share the message that one your city is here for you Two, we want you to know that you don't have to have fear because of your immigration status receiving this care. Um, And three, that it won't affect your immigration status. So uh, incoming President Joe Biden has said he will reverse a number of changes that President Trump made within the immigration system. What do you think should take priority within his first 100 days? What changes do you want to see? You know, first off, we want to say um, this, it's tremendous news that that we will no longer have a federal administration that has really uh, been doggedly xenophobic and racist in advancing an immigration policy that has very much deteriorated and in some ways, you know, left bare-boned critical programs like asylum and refugee um, programs, uh, our immigration court systems, right? Um, we see such a radical shift in grants um, for some of these kinds of cases. We saw the attempt to end the DACA program, uh, the uh, public charge rule change that I spoke about earlier. So just, you know, an onslaught that has just been horrible coming to an end is so, so, so vital, um, not just uh, for our immigrant communities, but for all of us, right, to, to be able to realize uh, our communities um, in a way that we, we know them to be, ones that value families, that value people and uh, understand the contributions that immigrants have made to our diversity, to our culture, to our economy. So this is such um, a tremendous opportunity. And, you know, right out the gate, there are key things that are so important. And I know the the Biden transition team has spoken about this, you know, their plan to introduce legislation um, on a pathway to citizenship for the 11 or so million undocumented immigrants in our country. That's so fundamental, right? We talk about the contributions, um, especially at this moment of undocumented essential workers across our country. And we have to do justice and honor to respecting those contributions. So that's a huge one um, and encompasses our dreamers. It encompasses our temporary protected status, families, uh, many who have been here for decades. Um, additionally, you know, the public charge rule change has had such havoc um, on the, the tr- that trust issue, the ability for people to feel safe receiving services they're entitled to or seeking that care that they need. Um, and there's been a commitment to, to looking to undo right that harm. Um, there's been a commitment to rebuilding the asylum system. And there's been a commitment to uh, revitalizing a task force for new Americans, right? Sign- signaling not only that um, uh, immigration, there are immigrants here, right? And there are Uh, a part of our communities, but it's a part of who we are as a country and that we have to be intentional about the way that we integrate and include immigrants, new arrivals or older arrivals, so that not only can they individually thrive, but our communities, our cities, our country can thrive. So there's a lot um, that they will do. And one thing I want to note for you all is we work in coalition with cities across the country who share our commitment uh, on our pro-immigrant agenda who, you know, deeply understand the value of immigration to our cities. Um, and we will be introducing a vision doc that we share 
uh, to the new Biden administration in January that really lays out uh, some of these and additional priorities that we have at cities. We are speaking with the commissioner of the mayor's office of immigrant affairs. And uh, in the time that we have left, commissioner did want to ask you, uh, we are going to be seeing very shortly a new president, new, new vice president, new administration take office. But we still, of course, will have to contend with the Supreme Court, which uh, uh, outgoing President Donald Trump certainly had a great influence over uh, having the opportunity to to select three new justices to the court. Uh, what do you think is going to be the the sort of lasting impact of the choices that he made in terms of choosing people primarily for their conservative credentials, not taking away from their judicial experience or anything, but again, based on their rather conservative view of the law? Yeah, you know, the the Supreme Court and in, in many ways the, the judiciary as a whole, our third branch of government, has played um, – often throughout the Trump administration, the, the role that I think are, you know, the founders of our country uh, designed, um, one that could be a check and balance where there was just reckless um, disregard for the rule of law, um, which we saw over and over again on the immigration side um, with the Trump administration. And we saw, you know, positive uh, checks and balances around DACA, positive checks and balances um, around the census, right? Um, many, uh, many different uh, efforts, but there were areas where they failed us. And with the, you know, newer, newer composition of the court, um, I think, uh, you know, that that is a strong likelihood, or could be a strong likelihood moving forward. And what well, that's one that I didn't mention in sort of the list of priorities, but certainly is one, which is something like the, the Muslim and the African bans, right? Um, those were allowed to to go through something that impacted me personally as a daughter of Iranian um, parents and who still has family in Iran who I very often like to see and who weren't able to travel um, for for these reasons and many families who were separated from their loved ones. So, you know, certainly the composition of the court is concerning, but ultimately at the end of the day, we need all of our branches of government to work and that fundamentally also means our Congress. And, you know, we all know that um, in just a few days, there's a really critical election in uh, in Georgia, um, you know, Congress functioning in a more healthy way that allows for the passage of real law and legislation can be the decider and, and not so much the Supreme Court. Um, and I think it's our job as public servants, as citizens in our country to ensure that we're continuing to raise our voices to advocate. We've seen the importance of public opinion and pressure on some of the outcomes at the Supreme Court. For instance, the Dreamers, DACA and the census as two really prime examples, the Affordable Care Act and just how many families across our country have benefited from this and for whom it had meaning and, and were able to vocalize that. So, uh, you know, yes, it's troubling, but we have work to do and, and we'll continue to do that work. And we have to focus on making sure that the other branches of our government are working for Americans um, so that that third branch becomes less less important or less of a barrier, I would say, where, where issues arise. And Commissioner, we've got just under a minute left. Uh, what else is on the horizon for your agency this year and where should our listeners go to learn more about the resources you provide? Yeah, so thank you. You know, we're deeply focused um, as, you know, as very much of our administration is in ensuring that uh, our recovery efforts, our healthcare and vaccination efforts are ones that are done inclusively um, for our communities. Um, it's been a big part of what we've done uh, this year and will continue to be a focus and priority for us going into the next year. We've created an immigrant resource guide um, for communities because we know it's complicated, right? We hear every day some good news, right? Um, uh, like recently the stimulus being uh, passed at the federal level, but also at the state level, uh, eviction moratorium. And we want people to know these resources are there and available to them and that we're, we're going to continue to ensure that resources that we push out as a city um, are inclusive as they have been, like food, 
like burial assistance, like um, some housing relief. So people can learn more um, and access resources in their languages at nyc.gov slash immigrants and follow us at, at NYC Immigrants. Um, and then we'll continue to do the advocacy. This is certainly, as I said, a moment in which cities are clearly united and seeing this as an opportunity to ensure that uh, at all levels of government, but in particular our federal level, we see this as a moment not just to roll back the clock, not just to go back to four years ago, but to really reimagine what a system that is uh, that takes into account the value of people in our communities the importance of equity and fairness and how we can be bold in pushing for those efforts and realizing them locally. Commissioner, thank you so much for appearing here on Driving Forces today on WBAI. Thank you so much for having me and Happy New Year to you all. Happy New Year. That was our commissioner with Vito Mostofi, the commissioner of the Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs. You have been listening to Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM also streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and I'm joined by my co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. That was a great conversation. I was really interested to to hear the answer because this is really a big deal, not just about vaccination in the middle of a pandemic, which obviously is a matter of life or death, in fact. And I'm sure we'll be hearing about that from our, our callers a little bit later on in the program. But, you know, the idea that uh, a lot of the issues that we face in terms of immigrant services, immigrant protection and so on, there is definitely a, a fear of uh, of being exposed or exposing family members by coming forward to uh, to be vaccinated, to take part in uh, public health or preventative health, uh, you know, to get educational services, to get legal services, to report crimes, that sort of thing. So I think that for me, that's always been something that's been particularly fascinating and particularly worrisome about um, the life of the undocumented and uh their families in the United States, and particularly, I would have to say, uh, that is a serious concern or has been a serious concern during the Trump administration. You know, one thing that was interesting, I had been reading, uh, skimming a report by the Migration Policy Institute earlier today, Celeste, in preparation for the show. And we're familiar with a few of these big issues that our guests talked about and that we're aware of, such Mm -hmm. as public charge, uh, family separations, but think about it. The administration undertook more than 400 executive actions on immigration during, uh, and there might even be more than that by now. That was well into his fourth year. It's just an unbelievable number. And I know we've got our, our next guest on the line. And uh, before you introduce him, I just wanted to bring something up because I immediately sent you the link that we should do this. Uh, earlier this week, I watched The Fight, a documentary that had come out earlier this year that chronicled the AC efforts in four court cases, including one led by uh, Lee Galernt to prevent family separations. And in 2018, a federal court issued an injunction in this case, holding the practice unconstitutional and requiring the administration to reunite thousands of separated families, and that included babies and toddlers. Well, Mr. Glernt is featured prominently in this film. It's an incredibly moving documentary that gives you insight into the arguments raised in challenging Trump administration policies. So Lee's the deputy director of the uh, uh, organization's Immigration Rights Project. Uh, in addition to his work with the ACLU, he's an adjunct professor at Columbia Law. Uh, for a number of years, he was also a visiting professor at Yale Law. He's recognized as uh, one of the country's major public interest lawyers, and he's argued dozens of important civil rights cases, including in the Supreme Court and virtually every federal court of appeals in the country. He's also testified as a legal expert before both houses of Congress. So Legal Alert joins us today to talk about the ACLU's efforts to reunite families and what his expectations may be under the coming Biden-Harris administration. So Lee, welcome to WBAI. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it and Happy New Year to you. You too. So maybe before we get started, just give us a, a thumbnail of the uh, ACLU's Immigrants' Rights Project, you know, what, what it does and what you've been focusing on most recently. Yeah, so we um, are part of the national ACLU, but of course work with our state affiliate. 
And what we try and do in a nutshell is protect the civil rights and constitutional rights of non-citizens. And that can be regardless of status. You could be a lawful permanent resident or you could be here as an undocumented immigrant. And we primarily do litigation, and but we also have uh, offices in Washington that work on legislation, and, and, and our political department does uh, various advocacy. And we have been particularly busy over the last four years because President Trump made immigration a signature issue, and we have filed hundreds and hundreds of actions just on immigration alone and more generally, obviously, on a variety of issues. But immigration has been one of the really big issues because President Trump has tried to completely undermine our immigration system. So one thing I definitely wanted to ask you about in terms of family separations, it's it's a, an easy question to ask, but uh, maybe a hard question to answer, which is, you know, what is the latest that we've heard and what can we expect going ahead on these kids who were separated from their parents at the border? We've heard about hundreds of cases where uh, the parents of these migrant children couldn't could not be found. Um do you think that there are children out there who will never see their parents again as as a result of these these kinds of separation programs? Yeah, so so that's the good question. It's the right question. Um, my own feeling is, and I've been saying this, you know, since we first brought the lawsuit back in late winter of 2018, is that I remain optimistic we will find every family, and I, I just think that. We have no choice but to feel confident that we will do it so that we keep looking. And we have pledged that we will never stop looking. So right now, there, the parents of 628 children have not been found. And the reason is, and just to put it in context, we have found thousands of families. And overall, the government, the Trump administration, separated 5,400. Um, so these are the last 628. And the reason this group has not been found yet is, first of all, the administration didn't tell us about uh, more than a thousand families um, until there was an investigative report, internal investigative report revealed that there were many more families who we had never been told about. So we got a very late start looking for these families. And then the government until very recently disclosed, failed to disclose phone numbers and addresses. So even with all those op, and then there's COVID, which makes it very difficult to do searches on the ground in Central America. But even with all those obstacles, you know, we have found hundreds and hundreds, even of these remaining families. I am confident that these remaining 628 will be found. But, uh, you know, you ask what what is the situation going forward, even once we find the families, and I think that's the absolute right question. Because what I want to stress to people is that while these 628 haven't been found yet, there are hundreds and hundreds of other families that we have found but remain separated. And that's because the Trump administration will not allow parents to return to the United States to reunite with their children. So we are hoping for four principal things from the Biden administration. The first is to help us find these remaining families and allow them to return to the United States to reunite in the United States. But second, and really important, is it has to go beyond finding the families and reuniting them. It has to be that the, that the Biden administration now provides protection against deportation and gives them permanent legal status. Because what I think many people don't realize is even after we find the families and can reunite them in the United States, the Trump administration is trying to send them right back to danger even after they've been through this trauma of separation. So we need legal status for these families. The third thing is we need to see some type of victims fund to provide basic necessities and trauma care relief for the families. They have been so traumatized, hopefully not irreparably. So they need care. They need basic necessities. And the fourth thing is we need the Biden administration to change the policy going forward so there's never separation again uh, uh, like what we've seen before but first we'll find the families i am confident we will but then we need the biden administration to go beyond just helping us find the families 
And you're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM. This is Driving Forces. Uh, I'm Jeff Simmons, your host, along with my co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. And we're also streaming live at WBAI.org. We are joined by Lee Gallant, Deputy Director of the ACLU's Immigrants' Rights Project. Thank you so much for walking us through that. Another uh, issue that Celeste raised at the beginning of the show is that some advocates have expressed concern about how aggressive uh, the new administration may be enrolling back Trump-era measures. A colleague of yours had noted in the Washington Post, for instance, that the detention of immigrants on any given day had gone from just under 6,800 in 1994 to nearly 34,000 in 2013, and then an all-time high to 52,000 in 2019. So what then what signals to you that this is going to change, that things will change in 2021? Yeah, and that, that's another very good question because I think every administration that comes in, every Democratic administration, you know, there's the hope that they will do everything that, we're, that we'd like in the immigration area. And that's never been true. And I think here there's going to be a question of what they do and how quickly given what a mess Trump administration has made uh, of things. I do, I am hopeful and confident that the Biden administration will undo the worst of what the Trump administration has done. I think the question is going to be how quickly. Um, I am hoping that it will be done quickly. There are signs uh, on certain policies that they will act quickly, but then there are signs that they may take much longer for fear of the backlash um, the political backlash at the border. But I, I do think that the public will support bold steps to undo the Trump administration's policies. And I, I also feel like what needs to, to to not get lost in the abstract policy arguments and, you know, sort of aggregate statistics is the human dimension of this. I mean, the horror we've seen with family separation is just unbelievable. It's the worst thing that I have seen in my 30 years doing this work. I mean, the children begging and screaming, please don't take me from my parents. Two and three-year-olds being ripped out of their parents' arms. The parents having no idea where the children went. We have to undo this trauma. There are families with little children sitting in Mexico now who came here to apply for asylum, were sent to Mexico. They're sitting ducks for cartels. Many people are living on the streets. They're living in horrendous conditions in, in, in shelters where they can't walk outside because of the cartels. So I, I hope that in all the hand-wringing about how will the politics play on this, that we never forget the human dimension. And so, you know, we're seeing signals from the Biden administration that they plan to undo things. But I think we're also seeing some signals that they feel like They're going to need time to undo it. And we are not being dismissive of the challenges the Biden administration faces. I mean, they have the pandemic, economic hardship, and just how much devastation the Trump administration did to the immigration system. So, uh, you know, we do not want anybody to think that we are not sensitive to what the Biden administration faces. But we do hope that they will act with real urgency. And Lee, that kind of brings me to uh, one more question I wanted to ask you in the the little time we have left. We could certainly talk about this all day, and I would because I, I do think it's important, and we certainly think it's important enough to, to do a whole program about it. But I am wondering about the things that you're speaking about. We have an administration and a Congress that's going to be coming back in that has uh, a lot of Americans who are in very dire straits financially. Many people uh, have gotten sick, millions of people sick. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people dead. Um, do you Are you concerned that this is going to be all the more difficult because the focus will be so domestic on, on so much on um, bringing uh, the United States back from the, the problems caused by the pandemic uh, and the complications of the vaccination effort? Do you think that the will is going to be there or do you think that this issue is going to be sort of shunted to the side or, or forgotten even even temporarily? Yeah, I mean, those are great points. And I, I would I would be lying if I said I wasn't fearful that these these issues could get lost in the shuffle because there are so many issues and there is so much uh, economic hardship and there is the pandemic. Um, but I don't think that 
it has to be one or the other. I do think that the administration could do both. And, and, you know, people often ask me, what can they do to help on the immigration issue for these children? And, you know, they people can go to the ACLU website for the lots of practical things and ways to help. But one thing I, I think people should not dismiss as unimportant is just being a voice out there so the lives of these children don't get lost in the shuffle. Because I think what the Biden administration is hearing from the public will stay hopefully on the, on the front burner. Um, and there's a real danger that, as you said, with everything going on, if people aren't reminding the Biden administration about all these little children who, who suffered so much abuse, you know, what the American Academy of Pediatrics called straight out child abuse, it could get lost in the shuffle. So I really urge people to continue expressing their outrage of what the Trump administration did and to push the Biden administration to, to work on it. I do think the federal government has the resources to do to undo these Trump administration policies without sacrificing in other areas. I don't think it has to be sort of one or the other. And you mentioned the website. Please let our listeners know where they should go to to learn more about your work, particularly if they'd like to get involved. Yeah, ACLU.org, um, and there are various ways to to get involved and different subject matter areas, and one of which is uh, immigrants' rights um, area. And so we would we always welcome support, but just people speaking out on their own um, is fantastic as well. Lee Gallant, Deputy Director of the ACLU's Immigrants' Rights Project, thanks so much for joining Celeste Katz-Marston and myself here on WBAI today. Thank you so much for having me. You have been listening to WBAI 99.5 FM, also streaming live at WBAI.org. We're just talking with Lee Learned of the ACLU about family separations. And now we're going to open up the phone lines. Uh, the number to call is 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. And as Reggie gets ready to take your calls, we're going to take a very brief break for about a minute or two. We're going to play you a song now that came to mind as we consider today's theme. I'm sure you've heard of it. In fact, I even went to high school uh, with the daughter of the singer. This is Neil Diamond's America.
Welcome back. You're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, and I'm here with Jeff Simmons, wishing everybody a happy New Year's Eve. Today, our subject's immigration. We want you to call in. Look, we're all stuck at home or we're stuck somewhere close to home or maybe you're working, maybe you're in the car. Uh, give us a call, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. Do you think that anything is really going to change on immigration once President Trump is out of office and President Biden and Vice President Harris are in the White House are in the uh, executive office building? Or do you think things are really just going to stay the same? I mean, it's uh, it's 2020. It hasn't been a big year for enthusiasm and hope. So we want to hear from you. And if you don't want to talk about immigration, by the way, uh, you know, maybe not the most uplifting subject, just tell us about, you know, what are your hopes for 2021, right? Face it, could it really be any worse than 2020 was. I know that uh, Jeff and I have uh, have some uh, stories about what it was like living through <laughs> this year, but give us a call, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. What was so interesting about that film that I mentioned, Celeste, uh, and the court cases, uh, in addition to the one that Lee had been uh, championing, the one of the other ones was the uh, immigration question that was being placed on the census. Now, when this film came out, that had not fully been even resolved yet, that issue. Uh, and what was interesting is when the initial court decision came down, uh, it would even confuse the attorney. He thought at first they lost, then realized it was a win at that point uh, regarding that question. It was just such an amazing film. And as Lee was speaking with us, I was visualizing the final scene in this in this movie where he's there and a mother and child are being re- reunited for the first time. And I just, even thinking about it, I just get choked up because the footage that we had seen so often when they were there were other re, uh, reunions was just so moving after these separations. It's just an incredible story, and and I feel like they've just done uh, the ACLs, ACLU's done incredible work on this. Yeah, it's and look, it's a really, really difficult. It's a really difficult problem to face because it affects people in so many different ways. It affects their kids. It affects you know their families back home. Uh, people need to reach out for help for uh, schooling for their children to report a crime. I mean, what if you are here undocumented but you are uh, subject to domestic violence? Where do you go? Do you have to? How do? How? What does it feel like to have to make that choice? Do I go to the police? Do I? risk getting deported or do I continue to suffer? We have uh, one person on the line right now. just want to remind you the number to call 212-209-2877. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you from? Hey, Celeste, this is uh, Larry. I'm calling from uh, Queens. Astoria. Hi, Larry. Happy New Year. Hey, same to you. What's on your hey, mind on the, on the question of immigration, doesn't the receiving country, shouldn't the receiving country have a right to say whether or not someone could actually immigrate there? And if there's like, you know, um, like enough of, say, for instance, people from South uh, Central America, can they say, okay, let's have a moratorium, let's wait, you know, let's... Um, uh, see what's going to happen and, and uh, you know, temporarily halt it until we can actually get these people resettled. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm listening to the guy from the from the ACLU and, and, and the lady. I mean, how do you become entitled to uh, services when you're not actually, you know, legally accepted to live in a country? Yeah, I mean, you can't go to any other country. You can't just, you know, I can't get on a plane and go to Italy on a, on a visitor's visa overstay my my uh, my time there and then declare hey i'm gonna i i want to be an italian they're gonna throw my ass out well the and i appreciate your call larry so i guess i don't know jeff you can jump in on this at any time but certainly i mean look do people have a right Not as far as I know, no. I, I, um, 
making a request to the government. They can come on a student visa. They can come uh, on a tourist visa. They can come for uh, to request from danger at home or, you know, something like that. However, uh, it's not an entitlement per se. Once people are here, however, that's when you start having to make these hard choices about what kinds of services should you offer people? Should you uh, exclude people who are not documented from a vaccine program that could control or eradicate a deadly virus? just because they are not, quote, unquote, entitled to it, because they are not American citizens. Uh, you know, that's that's a question that's a, it's a practical question because everything costs money and we can't get around that. But is it also a moral question? I'd be interested to hear what uh, what more of you think about that. 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. Jeff, if you want to jump in here as well. Uh, I know we've only got just a few minutes left before we're going to have to wrap up. So uh, if no other calls come in, I did actually want to also use this time uh, to thank you for returning to Driving Forces once again on a weekly basis. This has been such a pleasure. Uh, I missed being in the studio with you and Reggie. We had a good time. Uh, Reggie, you know, we miss seeing you as well. Uh, you know, I didn't want the, to end the year without letting you know how much we appreciate everything that you've been doing to keep us on the air, uh, to juggle the calls and to screen everything. And we thank you so much for all of your work on the show and at WBAI. Absolutely. And I want to uh, give a big shout out to Reggie. It's not easy uh, uh, hurting all these cats or cats, Marston's. Uh, as it is. <laughs> Uh, you know, a lot of callers, a lot of hosts, a lot of uh, sound, a lot of equipment. And Reggie always, always does a great job. Very, uh, very cool, cool, steady hand uh, at the tiller there. So, Reggie, we really appreciate you and Happy New Year. You know, and I'd love, um, you know, for you, Celeste and Reggie and our listeners to kind of indulge me for just a minute on this final show. Uh, of 2020. I just want to thank a few people for their support. Of course, my husband, Alfonso Quiroz, who's cooking dinner for me, uh, having it ready at 6.01 tonight. Uh, our families and friends, the uh, WBAI family as well. We're going to go to another call right now because we'll squeeze this in as quickly as possible. Let's and then I get another- to thank my family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, then you get to thank your family. Let's take another call. You've got, uh, got just a brief amount of time. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. What's on your mind and what's your name? My name's Doug. I'm from Staten Island, and Mer- Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and Happy Holidays to you all. Thank you for what you guys do. Uh, in answer to the last gentleman's question, uh, yes, we do have a liberal policy here uh, for uh, uh, immigration. Uh, however, we also have laws that allow people, if they can present a particular uh, uh, item uh, which is uh, threatening their lives or uh, uh, other issues, which allows them to ask for asylum. That's number one. Number two, uh, most of the people coming from uh, Central America uh, are coming because of heavy droughts and government policies from the United States, basically uh, uh, chasing all the uh, farmers and campesinos off their uh, lands there and leaving them to either starve or move. Um, the reason that they have gangs and so on and so forth is that we all imported. Uh, the United States, especially in California, decided to import rather deport, the MS-13 gangs that sprung up when they first came into the United States. They were isolated, marginalized, so they formed groups, which became gangs. They became a problem for the United States, Mm -hmm. and they imported them all back to their countries here. So that's why the problems arise when we have this. Uh, When we have people in here, not to vaccinate them, not to give them driver's license, not to allow them to call somebody like uh, 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 Amy Goodman just showed on her show just the other day, a woman who called. She is part of the DACA program, and she called because she was being abused by her uh, boyfriend or spouse. I forget which one it was. And and she was arrested, not him. She is in a detention center in Irwin County, in in, uh, uh, Irwin uh, Detention Center, a private for. uh, profit for uh, 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 prison always, industry. Always, always amazing. And thank you, Doug, for your call. Because, yeah, you know, always, always amazing to hear stories like that. I don't know, Jeff, do we have time for one more call or do we think we really need to? I think we're yeah, going to have to wrap we, up. We're, we do. We, we are to. getting right up to the top <laughs> of the hour. Um, like, Jeff, I also would like to thank my family, I'd like to thank my my husband, my parents, uh, all the people who supported me and helped me. i uh, especially like to thank Jeff Simmons. It has been, uh, it was a little while. I was off doing my uh, 
my other projects, my coronavirus series, doing uh, book writing and so on. So I really want to thank you, Jeff, for bringing me back so we could team up again here every Thursday on Driving Forces. So happy and, to be with you. Uh, and Celeste, because you bring that up, to preview, we are going to do something, a follow-up to your coronavirus diary series starting in a few weeks. Yeah, we are. We are going to hopefully hear back from some of the people we checked in on uh, about uh that series. It was called New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary. And we are going to hear back and see, you know, what are things like uh, a little further down the road. But I am hoping very much that some of those stories, like everything else, will be a lot happier in uh, 2021 uh, than they have been in 2020. I want to thank our guests today, Bita Mustofi, Commissioner of the Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs and Lee Gallant, Deputy Director of the ACLU's Immigrants' Rights Project. Thank you again, Reggie, for all you're doing to support Celeste Katz-Marston and myself here. And also, I want to thank our WBAI listeners. This Sunday, 10 a.m., tune in to City Watch, hosted by David Brandt. He's going to look at... Ranked Choice Voting, which will begin here in New York City for the first time in just a few weeks in a special election. Thank you again for listening to this edition of Driving Forces. Celeste, why don't you close out our show with uh, Happy New Year wishes? Wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe New Year. Hopefully in 2021, we can say goodbye to this virus and say hello to some better times ahead. Stay safe and Happy New Year. Good night. for the society. But I should warn you. This is 2020. Tonight, January 5th, 2020, we're not going to look back on this night. In the history books, we will see a country on the brink of war, a president tweeting out, and the continent of Australia on fire. Pretty incredible day. The end of the pandemic is in sight, and next year will be one of the greatest years in the history of our country. I crossed the Rubicon on the 14th day of the most dangerous month of the year. At the worst time, at the worst place, that's all I seem to hear. Tune in for a shortcut, 11 p.m. New Year's Eve, right here on WBAI-FM. It's time for us, for we the people, to come together. Pacifica Radio is 99.5 FM in New York City, streaming live on the web at WBAI.org. As Stephen the Soka Warrior brings you some sweet Parang Soka music on Basia M. Chawi's education at the crossroads from 8 to 9 p.m. on New Year's Eve. Yes, indeed, as we close this chapter of this divisive regime and celebrate this unifying Biden-Harris era, what better way to begin 2021 than by stomping out the old and dancing in the new with some sweet Parang Soka music. That's Basiam Chawi's Education at the Crossroads, New Year's Eve, 8 to 9 p.m. on your favorite, listener-sponsored, commercial-free, community radio station, 99.5 FM in New York City and WBAI.org. Thanks to your continued financial support since 1960. Time to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. The previous program was Driving Forces. 
with Jeff Simmons and Celeste Katz Martson, and that is heard Thursdays at 5 p.m. Stay tuned for the WBAI Evening News, followed by Justice Matters. That's all coming up in the next hour. And before we go into the next program, this is a great opportunity just to remind people once again that it's still not too late to donate to this radio station, show your support financially to this radio station that's been providing you a unique perspective of the world since 1960, and also be able to take advantage of some tax deductions. One of the few things you can say that would be considered perks in the year of 2020. 516-620-3602 is the number to call to show your support. 516-620-3602 or go 